and welcome to the Changes Ahead podcast. Giving space to the often unheard questions, doubts, hopes, and challenges facing the church in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm Stephen. And I'm Kathy, And we invite you to join us as we imagine the changes ahead. Thinking about this conversation with Sasha has made me reflect on the importance of wrestling in our faith journey and the depths that it can lead to. And it's been such a privilege to be able to walk alongside her in this process. And for me, I love the way she models a way of sitting with the tension that we encounter in scripture, the really difficult stories that are there and still seeking to see where God is active and the unexpected things we can find as we sit in that tension. Welcome, Sasha, to the Changes Ahead podcast. And I've known you for some time. And so it's really lovely for me to be able to introduce you to our listeners. And we are sitting face-to-face, and I love face-to-face. I know that you've been on a thought-provoking journey for some time and rethinking so much of what you think and believe. And we want to invite our listeners into your journey, into your story, But before we do that, can you tell us a little bit about who Sasha is? Thank you for that lovely welcome. That was great. Um, Who is Sasha? What a big question. Uh, So I am a girl from Aotearoa, New Zealand, um, and I was born and bred in the fabulous town of Palmerston North, you know, metropolis that it is, so much going on there. But yeah, I have been on this really cool journey of expanding my faith, I guess. Grew up in a Christian household, but have ended up after many, many years at Bible college and just kind of recrafting what I believe. And I have worked in ministry. I have lived overseas in Thailand as a missionary. I have always loved Jesus and my faith, but this has been a journey like no other. That does sound like quite a story. I have a a memory of a conversation with you, which may be a good place to start and invite our listeners into. We are in your brother's lounge and we're talking lots of ideas. And I remember saying, is that too much? And you went, that's way too much, Kathy. And so it blew your mind. And what I'm wondering is, could you tell us a little bit about what is it like when you hear ideas that are so different to what you've thought before? What does that feel like? Yeah, that's a great question. It's extreme anxiety, as I think probably what I felt in that moment, because you were challenging foundational aspects of my faith, which... But it probably wasn't just one. I think it was multiple at the same time. And so I was hearing this and trying to have an open mind to what was being said to me. But everything in my upbringing of faith wanted to push against you. Of course. And be like, you just need to stop. That was how it felt. (laughs) And I do remember thinking, I don't think you liked me particularly much in that moment because it was, like you said, so anxiety, um, that feeling, yeah. Mm. So a, a little while later, Sasha, can you reflect now on what was behind the anxiety that you felt? I think it was fear. Fear of what? Do you, like, mm. can you... 
yeah, that's <laughs> fear of something that was really different to the pastors that I'd grown up with who told me what this is, dot, 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 yeah. and the idea that what I'd been told was so significantly different to what someone else believed. And so I wanted to reject it. Mm. So, yeah, I would say it was fear of the unknown. Yes. Wow. Because I wonder if that fear of the unknown feels like the ground has shifted under you, you know, because where do you stand then? And I'm also wondering what else is the fear? Because I hear this a lot, that there is a fear that if we get it wrong, what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, at the time, the fear of getting it wrong, I mean, I've like worked as a pastor, I've worked in a church, I have, you know, gone to church my entire life. If you're telling me that I've got that wrong, how many other things could I have wrong? Slash you're wrong. <laughs> it's, it's like essentially what probably was going through my brain at the time. Like, this can't be real. You're just pushing your agenda. Like that was the kind of response that I was really having and I think probably in my head I also had a little bit of a build-up of um, I have huge respect for these pastoral leaders that have shaped me yes they can't be wrong because that's what I'm shaped yes from Mm. so it's my being in some senses. So it, it's all linked to, again, your identity. It gets yeah. really caught up. And so no wonder you can't unpack that or mm. deconstruct that because that's who you are. Yeah. So so where do you go from that position? And where did you go from that position? Yeah. So clearly I went into Bible college. Oh. And um, to begin with, I think, you know, you're starting off and it's pretty like, it's pretty light. And then you're just exposed over and over to different ideas. And you're sitting at the lunch table after your classes and wrestling over things. And I guess my brain went from being terrified to, I guess, like an openness to explore. Wow. And the best way I can explain it, I was actually listening to Um, another great podcast I mean you know not better than this one obviously Um, but the Bible for Normal People spoke about these different stages of faith and I realized that I I kind of moved from black and white and I'd maybe even moved a bit from gray and I'd moved into maybe there's not perfect answers Uh. and that was a very painful journey that I've gone on while at Bible college with that kind of like wrestling with people and wrestling with scripture and learning how to dig into scripture in a way that I'd never been taught before. Mm. I'd learned a lot of what the person from the front had told me. Yes. Not so much of the tools to dig down myself. Huh. That sounds fascinating that we haven't been given the tools And I think, is that how you were able to move from being terrified to being able to sit and actually sit with these new ideas because now you had some tools to do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because 
I no longer was maybe just hearing one voice, but I was hearing all these different voices, um, like different commentaries, different, you know, one of my uh, things that I've looked at recently, I looked at feminist theology, womanist theology, Hebrew theology, and, you know, good old American theology. (laughs) Um, But I, I also had moments like, um, I I was asked to do a sermon and I was looking through the website of all the books that were available and there was an African theologian and I ignored it. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I didn't register why I ignored yeah. it. The following week, my pastor hands me that book. I didn't read it. Wow. And I don't, I didn't know why. I just was like, uh, something in my head was like, no, I'm not going to read that book. Um, a few weeks later, one of our um, lecturers speaks on the story of what happened to the African kind of scholars of the time when they went to, I'm probably not even going to remember the name, but it was a, basically a council where they all came together to decide on certain things about our faith. Mm. And the Africans didn't have language for what was being discussed. And so they were called heretics Mm -hmm. and kind of rejected from, I guess, that high sort of council of belief. And I sat there and I went, oh, my goodness, no one ever told me to reject African scholarship. But something in my upbringing told me that white European American was the only way to get the right answers. And I had to check myself on my own racism and that recognition that even that I had like narrowed myself to only certain people being allowed to have voice into my theology. Wow. You're, you're describing a way of that we've absorbed a bias that we're not even aware of. That's really confronting. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. How did that changed the way you prepared that sermon as you acknowledged that? Well, sadly, that sermon had already passed oh, okay. when I realised okay. this. But, boy, that changed mm-hmm. the way I see things for the future. Yeah, right. And was something that I could also be vulnerable with my community about. Yeah. It doesn't bother me to say those kind of things out loud because, well, I kind of figure if it helps me, it might help other people too. Exactly. And it helps to see the journey you've been on and that as it's only as you're exposed to it, do you actually know any different? Mm. You just didn't know any different. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like one example yes. of tons of examples of things that have kind of happened along the way. So can you maybe tell us a little bit more about what is it like to be exposed to so many new ideas when you said you've grown up in the church, you've been doing pastoring, and you're suddenly going, why didn't I know this? Could you maybe talk a little bit about what that's like and and give some language to that? (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, through that process, I remember saying out loud, (laughs) uh, why did my pastor lie to me? And it's maybe a bit dramatic. (laughs) I guess it was, maybe that was my feeling. Well, that's your feeling, isn't it? And that's what it feels like. How come I don't know this stuff? Why is this the first time I'm being confronted with it? Absolutely. And so I went through this kind of like, (laughs) it's probably sort of like outwardly angry and like a, um, probably because it's me, slightly tongue in cheek, but still like really expressing that, Mm. 
I was frustrated that my pastors didn't maybe say from the front of the room, there are different ways of seeing this or different interpretations of this. More often than not, my recollection, whether this is right or wrong, and I don't think there's any malicious nature in this, it was this is the one interpretation that can move forward. Right. And so as I started to uh, look at things for myself, I guess it was starting to trust my own (laughs) sources, trust my own uh, self as wow. I'm reading scripture, as I'm yes. understanding um, what different theologians say. And I think the hardest part, in all honesty, because I had such high respect for the pastors that had shaped me. Do you know the big fear? Yeah. No. That they would <laughs> that they would reject me for the new way that I thought. Wow, that that's really speaks to the core of it, isn't it? It's our fear of losing belonging yeah. and the people that we've looked up to. Yeah. Yeah. And and that was a difficult realization. Mm. Um yeah, to to process what it means to think differently from the people that you trust the most. Wow. Mm. Mm. So how have you where are you in that space and and how are you able to sit with that at this present time um (laughs) definitely been some uncomfortable moments I guess I've like tried to be really honest with where I'm at and like maybe I've like pushed the door a little bit and someone put up on online a question like what are your thoughts about the Holy Spirit and I wrote back I love that I can see myself as she in the Mm. Holy Spirit because in the Hebrew it is a feminine it's a feminine word and I I loved that I was like oh my goodness I I get to see a bit of myself in the Trinity and I don't know, like I felt a little bit found in that. And so I said this to to this pastor and um, the response came back. Essentially, I I don't speak Hebrew, so I can't test that. Mm. And I I was maybe like a little bit, I'm going to use the word stressed by that in my body. And I, I forged forth and I was like, well, I've got some like materials that you can read about it. And I sent them off terrified in all honesty. Yeah. As much as I would like to think on the outside that I am a outgoing person who <laughs> is pretty confident. I was so scared because I wanted maybe to have her acknowledge yeah. and I never heard back. Mm. Now that's not to say that it maybe didn't impact her, but it was one of those kind of moments where maybe it was testing to see whether I would be rejected. Yes. And that's a hard process. That's a hard place. Yeah. Yeah, that is. So you're training to be a pastor. <laughs> and you have asked this question Yeah, in that moment of why did my pastor lie to me? Mm. Do you have thoughts about how you would answer that question now? Why do you think that 
uh, and you've said you don't think that they were lying as such, but it was in that moment that's what it felt like. Why do you think the the pastors haven't that you've experienced haven't kind of opened things up the way that you have now had things open up? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think the short answer of that is probably that it's a relatively conservative perspective of those particular pastors that they are very comfortable with. Mm. And in general, I would say the community are very comfortable with. I think maybe with younger pastors uh, coming in that it might be shifting a little bit, but I do genuinely think that it's it's a conservative perspective. I think they genuinely believe it. Mm. I I think that maybe some of the unknown of a lot of what I'm realizing, <laughs> um, that's a lot harder for communities to swallow, mm. to know that there are maybe two ways of seeing this or to know that different people have different perspectives. It's maybe not as easy to have people go on that journey with you. Maybe it is a longer, more difficult way yeah and when you're in a big room with three four hundred people that ambiguity perhaps is also a bit frightening because you've got to walk that journey with people in those kind of ambiguity and I'm not sure if there's the the framework maybe to do it yeah and you're and you're making me think about maybe the size because if you've got two to three hundred people you're right how can you walk alongside maybe then it means we need smaller groups to do that so that in that relationship you're able to keep having those conversations because, Sasha, when we started that conversation in your lounge, well, I'm still here Mm. and we're still walking alongside and so we're having that ongoing. But obviously when we first started talking, boy, I, I did the same thing to you. It was incredibly uncomfortable. And so maybe it does mean we're going to have to look at smaller groups because how else can you do it? I'm wondering Mm. if you could maybe reflect on that. So essentially, I think that's the journey that you go on as a training pastor of like, what does the church look like? What is God's best intention of the church? Mm. How are we to be communities that are loving, covenantal communities that make space for people to grow, that disciple, like all of these rich things that you hope for the church. And I think at Bible college, you sit there and you go, well, this isn't working. (laughs) The way it is, it's just not working. And so you do start to break it down and go, "Where where are some of the things that could create intimate relationship where there's safety for these kind of conversations so I've had some really incredible moments in my life that have allowed those kind of spaces and I wouldn't have known that that was maybe what I was missing if I hadn't walked in and experienced it so I lived on the mission field where you desperately need one another Mm. You can't do life without that really deep intimacy there. And, you know, like I had a friend whose car would break down all the time and she would call me and I would pick her up every time and we would spend time together. And there was not, there wasn't the parameters maybe in our life there that you couldn't drop everything and go and be someone's support system. Then when I came back to New Zealand, I desperately missed that community. 
And so I was a part of starting an intentional community house. So five people in a house who commit weekly to sit with one another over meals, to gather around the Bible and kind of wrestle over things together and, you know, joining with the community. We drew drew people in once a month Mm. for for dinner um, at our home. And so by the end of that year, you are whānau. You are a hundred percent living your lives to care for one another and be there for each other and all of the tough and good moments. And so I've had this privilege of seeing what it looks like to have a safe space yes. to wrestle over things. Ah, yes. So I think like I love big church. Like, <laughs> don't get me wrong, I, I I love it. I love the the joy and the fun of coming together and singing and and like having communion together and praying with one another. I love those spaces, but I'm not going to have that intimacy there. It's not going to happen. But those small group spaces, if leaders are trained to have openness to people's uncertainty, Uh. openness to people getting it wrong, whatever that might be, for people saying inappropriate things and still loving them through it. Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you, Kathy. Yes, you still um, love me. Yeah, you. I still love you. Uh, so I those can't believe things... Kathy has ever said an inappropriate thing, though. <laughs> <laughs> but it's those oh. those spaces that allow yeah. for the painful chats as yes. well. Yes. And you only do that with like a real deep relationship, intimacy, where there's actually, I think, an agreed upon-ness. <laughs> like you don't get that where people dip in and out like mm. that's people oh, that's, saying I'm here yes I'm committing to this space and I'm walking this journey with you I like that I think that phrase an agreed upon intention with each other mm. yeah that sounds really good <laughs> Sasha I think that we don't buy into that kind of intentional commitment with each other because we buy into an individualistic faith 100 percent and it's what we're taught. Yeah. It's what we're crafted to be yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, my my life group, we um, we wrestled over communion one week. And by the end of it, we were like, why don't we do communion with little cups and little pieces of bread and by ourselves? Yes. We go and pick it up and we take it back to our seats and we sit there and we think about, God, what is it you want me to talk to you about or like what do I need forgiveness for like all these kinds of things like that's you know it's built into the structure of our traditional church and we sat there and we this doesn't make sense to us anymore Mm. so we started sitting around the dinner table Mm. and eating and praying for one another over the dinner table and that was our communion because it was community (laughs) sharing with one another praying together and remembering the incredible nature of Christ and um, his death and resurrection and our structures have been set for a really long time yes and I look at the Ao Māori and the culture of the beautiful Māori people is just so different mm. to Pākehā ways. And I have realised, I think, that there's this real beauty in community that they yes. have, yes. real beauty in community that I've experienced 
I think we could do really great from listening <laughs> to some more Māori voices about Absolutely. what it means to live communally. Yes. And I think it would dramatically change the way that we do church. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting just thinking about the individualism thing and how it's stuck in the system that you've just said. I think, yeah, growing up, I was encouraged to read my Bible, you know, every day, and that's not mm. a bad thing to do. But the, the way I then read the Bible is it's, it's something, if I, ever I see the I, I'm reading me right mm-hmm. um, and then all of not all but i would say the vast majority of us the songs we sing in church are i mm. uh, me and god or what i want god to do for me or all those sorts of things and so that has deeply shaped us i think in church culture over the last i don't know 100 200 years i haven't been around that long but, um, <laughs> for yeah and, and so i think that shifting to this communal focus which arguably is much more a biblical way of doing things mm. and and being committed to one another in that. I think that's really, really important. So yeah, thanks for highlighting that. Yeah. Interestingly, my job is uh, leading a music ministry. Um, mm. So a music team. And when looking for new songs for songs for this generation, for this time, uh, not easy. I did an exercise where I underlined every time in songs when it was we, I, or some form of God. And I don't know if I found one song that didn't have I Mm. or we in it. And that's not to say that those songs are terrible (laughs) because some of them are really beautiful and they do really seek to we the people, what is God asking of us? But it is usually like at the end of a sermon, it's God, what are you saying to me? Mm. Not what are you saying to we? Mm. Yes, yes. It's so directly built into our structure, but we don't know it. Mm. We don't even see it anymore because it's how we've been trained. It's how we've been told things are meant to be. And it's how we've embodied it because Mm. if we're turning up Sunday after Sunday, sitting in a pew, all of that body language is saying I'm coming as an individual. And then I am here to receive. So I'm just a container and I'm receiving information and then I'm leaving Mm. and it's not training me for anything else. And I've been thinking a little bit about our famous Corinthians passage on love. And we like to use that for weddings. But I think that's because we're going to need, if we're actually doing communal life together, I'm going to need patience. I'm going to need to know how to step back. I'm going to need to be kind. Um, I'm going to need perseverance. That's actually aimed at our communal life together. But we don't hear it as that. And I think that's why we need to go back to that and go, oh, that's what that's about. Um, actually, to go to something that you just said, Stephen, before, for one of my papers, I started listening to the Bible aloud with two other friends. Wow. And it was the first time I loved reading the Bible. Wow. I am not a great reader. I am a person who perhaps had a bit of dyslexic behavior in my being, and it came alive to me. Wow. Mm. And we would discuss it either as we went or like at the end, we'd talk about what we heard and, and kind of like wrestle over things and we had questions and like even that idea of like reading your Bible by yourself 
no wonder people get confused (laughs) because you don't get to discuss it with people. Now, granted, I'm a vocal processor, Mm. so it probably does lean towards my way of learning. But I wonder how many vocal processors are in the church that have never had that opportunity to read aloud with friends and just talk about what they heard. Mm. Without it being interpreted by someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, because then you can't engage with it because once you've been given the one interpretation, Mm. well, there is no other place to go. Mm. And I I wonder if that might be even just as a starting point. And you, you mentioned this at the very beginning, that you never heard your pastor say that there could be different ways to understand this text. Even if we could start to just even hear that, mm. that gives us permission that maybe that's the beauty of scripture is that it has all these other ways to be seen still mm. and speak to us. It doesn't make it any more less. I think it actually makes it more powerful. So I wonder what you both think of that, you know, even if we could just hear that, because that's not what we hear. We hear this is the one way. I think for me, one of the the scary things, but exciting things in recent times is I've just said when I've been preaching, this is confusing. Mm. I don't I don't get this. Mm. And initially the first time I did it, I was going, how is that how's this going to be taken? Right? Because yes. I'm I it's the reality of this. I was reading the scripture myself. I was reading other commentators on it. And I wasn't convinced by any of them. Mm. I wasn't able to streamline a narrative between these different voices that I was reading. And so I was going, oh, maybe the parables that I was looking at, the parable I was looking at, maybe it's meant to be a bit ambiguous. Mm. Maybe it's meant to provoke different things from different people and not have a simple answer. Mm. And that's baked into the nature of scripture yes and how exciting is that yes but it's scary to say i don't know in front of a congregation yeah Um, it's also baked into life sure yeah i mean it's complicated and not always easy answers and i had similar experiences to you um with exegetical research um so uh, looking at for example the story of sarai and hagar Hmm. there's this moment where with my research, I found out that Hagar had been violently abused by Sarai. That is the word that is used there. It's pretty mild in our English Bibles, yes. but it's physical abuse. So she runs away and and God meets her on the road. And, you know, like, yes, God gives her this voice. He asks her questions. He lets her speak. And she names him. There's this beautiful interaction. But then God sends her back yeah to a situation which sounds awful yeah and is awful (laughs) and i sit there as a 21st century female Mm. who strongly advocates for women not being in situations of violence or abuse of any kind and you're like god this doesn't make sense what are you doing here Mm. it it's confusing and I'm not sure that I fully understand it either. And in all honesty, I would agree with you, Stephen. I'm not sure if there were interpretations of that particular part that sat nicely. Yeah. 
And we have mm. to figure out as a community together what we do with that. Mm-hmm. Some of my questions in that were, perhaps there are things about this culture that I don't understand. Perhaps there are things about the life of a pregnant woman in that culture that I don't understand. Perhaps there are things about the future that she is going into that need to go on that path. Am I okay with the direction of it? No, and I think it's okay to say that. Mm. But also knowing that she is a woman who was sought out by God on the road. Yes. She is a woman who um, was not overlooked by God. God went after the oppressed. Wow, I love that. And he met with her. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to hold that intention that there's clearly something there that I don't get. Yeah. Yeah. But what you do get is this different uh, picture of what God is like, this, you know, going after. Yeah. Giving her a voice. For a woman. A woman and a foreign (laughs) woman. Yeah, a foreign woman, Egyptian. So So, wow. Yeah. The really marginalized. Yeah. As I'm hearing that, I imagine that that's given you a more expansive view of God. Here is God looking out for the person who is mm-hmm. so overlooked. And it leads me to a question, right? Mm. Often when people go and do study, uh, theological study, there's the fear that you will lose your faith. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> but I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing something different, and I'm just wondering if you could just uh, speak to that. Yeah, I I absolutely heard that message um, before I went to Bible college. And on top of that, there was the message, you'll go, you'll learn all these things, it'll break you down, and then they'll try and rebuild you. (laughs) And you're like, okay, that sounds fun. So for the first day of my Old Testament class, they asked us, what do you believe about the Old Testament? And my response was uh, horrible God, angry God, like stuff happens in that book that I just cannot understand why you'd want to follow God based on the Old Testament. I'm good with the new. And I (laughs) throughout that paper was like taken on this journey of seeing actually the same God in the Old Testament as in the new that I didn't know. Wow. And And honestly, that's kind of humbling. I'm 37, Mm. growing up in the church, have, you know, been a very consistent churchgoer. (laughs) And somehow I'd missed some of the bigger picture. Mm. And so, okay, this is my personal experience. This is not to say some people don't go to Bible college and lose their faith. But my experience has been, I now see a fuller overarching picture of who God is, and I see a journey that I get to wrestle out some of the spaces that don't make sense for me. I get to dig in to stories that speak of me as a woman. Wow. And I see all these beautiful women in the Bible that I just didn't know were there. I get to, you know, think about me as a single woman and, and go, God, where am I in this space, in this book? How can I be a faithful follower of God, even though it's muddier, even though there is a lot more questions, even though there is uh, conflicting views amongst people that I really respect? Maybe it's okay that we think differently. (gasps) 
Mm, maybe it is. And a word that you, you used earlier and you used again, and I just want to say it because I just love it. If you feel like you've been found, mm. I mean, isn't that what it's about? God finding us. Yeah. And now you feel that way. And I think we're probably coming to the end of our time, which is really sad, Sasha, because <laughs> love this conversation. But I'm wondering, you know, you've been on this journey of unpacking, mm. having your thinking provoked. You're having to do a lot of unlearning and mm. relearning. And so what is one thing that our listeners could take from this and they could begin to do for themselves? One small step. Both for themselves and within their faith community. Yes, yes. Mm. Honestly, after all that we've talked about, challenge yourself to make space for different people's ways of understanding scripture. Mm. Make space for questions. Yes. Make space for understanding context. I can't say that enough one, actually. That one is huge for me. I think there were so many times when scripture was sort of used <laughs> in a slightly inappropriate way. And so I think actually in those spaces where you are in, say, small groups, which a lot of people are in, in the traditional kind of church structure, maybe challenge yourself to step away from the right and the wrong yes. and challenge yourself to step into that. I want to hear, I want to listen. I want to be a person that makes space for all the voices in this room. Wow. That sounds great. What a great place to begin. Mm. Sasha, we do have to finish our time together. And so we we really want to thank you for the honesty that you have shared with, uh, for the insights, for the challenge, and just for bringing yourself to us and to the listeners. So thank you. Honestly, it's my pleasure. As terrifying as this is, it is um, a real joy to talk about one of my favourite subjects. So um, thanks, guys, for making space for me and for listening. It's so been awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Changes Ahead podcast. If that resonated with you, we'd love to hear from you. So get in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Changes Aheadcast or Twitter at Ahead Changes. See you next time.